Thank you. You may be seated. If you have your Bibles, I would invite you to turn with me this morning, and we'll be finishing up the book of 1 Corinthians uh, by looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 12 through 24, but primarily looking at verses 13 through 24. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, starting with verse 12. Well, everybody loves a good fireworks show. Uh, an opportunity to, to gather together and stare at the night sky as, as things explode and we get to sit and marvel for a minute. Ooh, ah, it's beautiful. But everybody also knows that the best part of a fireworks show is the grand finale. It's at the grand finale that basically you see everything you've seen before, but it's at rapid fire pace, and then suddenly with the big explosion, finally at the end. Well, where we turn to now in the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul, in some sense, is wrapping up his fireworks show. He, he's about to, to show us everything that he's shown us before in, in an exclamation point sort of fashion. He wants to, to put a bow on his little letter uh, to his troubled child, the Corinthian church. But as we look at it, what Paul wants to reiterate in this grand finale is really one facet, and it's this. You, O church, must love. And in this passage, Paul will show us five ways of love. Five ways of love. We're about to take up and read, but before we do, let us ask for the Holy Spirit's help in prayer. Gracious Father, we come to you now with perhaps cold hearts, weary hearts, burdened hearts. Lord, we see our deep and desperate need that our hearts be filled with love. And so, oh Lord, give us this day eyes that see the love that you've displayed for your people by sending forth your Son and hearts that are filled with a gospel of love for you, O oh Lord, our love itself. So now, be with us to give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to know your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hear now the word of our Lord from 1 Corinthians chapter 16, starting with verse 12. Now, concerning our brother Apollos... I strongly urged him to visit you with the other brothers, but it was not at all his will to come now. He will come when he has opportunity. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Now I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanos were the first converts in Achaia. And that they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to such as these. And to every fellow worker and laborer, I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus. Because they have made up for your absence. For they refreshed my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such people. The churches of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Prisca, 
together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord. All the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord, come. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. That is the inerrant, infallible, and inspired word of God. May he add his blessing to the reading and preaching of it. So what Paul is going to lay out before us are five ways of love. And the first way that he launches right into verses 13 and 14 is a call to love boldly. Hear what he says, these imperatives straight off the bat. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, or be courageous. You can translate it either way. Be strong, he says. Now, if we just take these uh, in and of themselves, uh, these are clearly imperatives of resolution. They're imperatives and calls to, to have a backbone, to be unshakable in your convictions, which is a good and lofty goal. But left in, a, in and of themselves, what, what could often come about is, is really Paul calling us to be somewhat curmudging. We probably know people who are watchful and, and who stand firm in, in the faith and, and act like men or are courageous and are, are strong. And, and on a good day, we might call them stubborn. And on a bad day, we, we might call them the, the angry old man next door that yells us when we get too close to his grass. Left in and of themselves, these imperatives somewhat leave us disheartened, but that's not where Paul really leaves us. He gives us these imperatives, but he roots them in verse 14, this reality. Let all that you do be done in love. Hear, hear this, O Christian, you, you have a call to be courageous and to stand firm and to be strong and to be discerning. But within the context of the gospel, all of those things must be done in love. There is no other option, for the Christian at least. This can often be difficult for us, though, can it? We all have a, have a certain problem, and especially when Paul tells us to, to be watchful and to stand firm and to be strong, but then also to love. He's calling us to walk a very fine balance that's exceedingly difficult. I don't think I'm the only person here who says and knows my heart well enough to say, I have a big people problem because I'm a people pleaser. My favorite word is Yes. Will you do this? Yes. Can you help me with this? Yes. Do you like this sweater? Probably not, but I'm going to say yes. That's what all of our hearts calls us to do. And, and, and so when Paul is laying before us verse 13, sometimes we have the exceedingly difficult Christian call to say no. Christian, the Bible's not that important, Right? No, you're wrong. Christian, your, your antiquated view on marriage and sexuality, you've got to know you're wrong, right? No, I'm not. 
the word of God has declared this to be so. And yet so much of, of what we end up doing, that's so difficult for us. And so, you know, we as people pleasers, which is part of probably who we all are as, as humans, we live in this constant cycle of seeking to be people pleasers and wanting to say yes, and then all of a sudden failing to be firm, and then we get burned, and then what do we become? We resent people and become people haters. But we know that's not sustainable because we need people. That's who we are. We're image bearers. Fellowship and communion are vital to, to who we are. And so you, you go back and forth between wanting to be a people pleaser, but also trying to stand firm and then getting burned and resenting people and wanting to hole up in, in our little communes or little hobbit holes and live under rocks. And that's, that's not the call either. With these two tensions in mind, Paul lays this before us only because, as always with Paul, there's a gospel solution. These imperatives left to themselves would utterly crush us, and we would be torn apart with the tension of, uh, of, of seeking to be firm while also seeking to do all things in love. And what Paul is actually calling us to do is to love boldly. But here's how the gospel sets us free in that way. He calls us to love boldly because we've been loved boldly. He calls us to, to preach the truth in love because the truth in love has been preached to us. And in fact, these two things Jesus held in tandem constantly. That was the, the whole of his ministry was declaring the truth. And yet, by the truth, declaring love. And so, Christian, as we seek to follow Paul's call here to love boldly, there will come a time, and in fact there already is, where the world will think that you're absolutely crazy for what you believe. And that's okay. Worry not, because the author of life and truth has said that these things are so. And the author of life and truth has also loved you boldly by sending forth his son to die for your sins. And this sort of bold love, that is a love of truth and with truth and through truth, is sufficient for a dying world. That is what Paul is calling us to go and to do. To love the world boldly while standing firm for the things of God. But, but secondly, he calls us to love honorably. In verses uh, 15 through 18, he, he focuses in primarily on Stephanus and uh, his household. And you know, he opens up by, by saying, you, you, know, you know Stephanus. Uh, and actually, he had just opened up his letter by referring to Stephanus. He was one of the few people that Paul actually baptized. If you'll remember back at the very beginning, Paul, I didn't, my whole ministry wasn't to baptize people. It was to preach the gospel. And I'm thankful, he says, that I didn't baptize many except for the house of Stephanus. And then here he says that, that Stephanus uh, and his household were the first converts in Achaia. Uh, Achaia was the overarching region that Corinth was in. And so what, what Paul is getting at here is to say, you know Stephanos. He's, he's faithfully served the church in Corinth, honestly, before any of you. 
He, he was my right-hand man from the very beginning. Honor him. But notice what he calls them to do in honoring him. He, he identifies Stephanos and he says, Stephanos and his household were the first converts in Achaia and that they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to such as these. Uh, the words for devoted and be subject in the original come from the same root word. Uh, Paul here is... is Interestingly enough, bringing up uh, a really almost perplexing kind of picture, he's, he's saying, you know Stephanus who subjected himself to you? Subject yourself to him. So you have this constancy of people in an honoring type of love subjecting themselves to one another. What should the church look like? Paul says elsewhere in his letter to the Romans to outdo one another by giving and showing honor. This is the nature of what the love of the church should look like. People subjecting themselves to others, seeking to honor one another, outdoing one another even in, in such things. If you're new to the area and, and aren't from here originally, you, you might have noticed that a lot, of, you can tell a native as you drive around here, um, because we drive slower than we talk. <laughs> if you think that's bad, you should have been here in the 90s. Uh, but you also will, will probably notice uh, that there are fewer and fewer four-way stops. I don't think that's a coincidence. Um, now there's a lot, of, uh, a lot more traffic lights being put in at a variety of places, and there's a good reason why. If you were here... Uh, back when this truly was podunk nowhere, um, you, you would understand why four-way stops are not much of a thing in the South anymore. As you sit at a four-way stop in a southern town full of southern natives, you're, you're going to be there a really long time. Because as you sit there, the, the appropriate thing to do for all southerners is to say, no, you go. No, you go. And, and there's almost uh, an out-polite of telling the other one to go. If you're in a hurry, you're not going anywhere. The church in a similar way should operate in the same fashion, that our natural posture seeks to look at others and say, no, you go first. No, you take the place of honor. No, no, this seat belongs to you. Take it. Have it. Now, I'm going to brag on y'all just a little bit. I think this church does this incredibly. Um, we celebrated the, the birth of our first child, and we were completely overwhelmed by the sheer number of people who made sure that we were fed before their families were. I commend you, and I love you, and you show honor to one another incredibly well. And so as an application, just keep up the good work. You're doing phenomenally. But next, what Paul calls us to do is to love horizontally. Love horizontally. We see this in verses 19 through 21. 
And this is the, the section uh, of uh, many letters where they send out greetings. They greet one another. This person greets one another. And, and honestly, this, this ends up kind of being um, something that we almost skim over. It's, it's a little bit higher on, on the, you know, the literary genre of interest uh, than genealogies. You can kind of hang with them, but even then, it's, yeah, I don't know. And somewhat of that may be, you know, part of our, our context. You know, we read the, the greetings and, and we, you know, are akinning this to something like bumping into your, your Meemaw's hairdresser at, at Kroger, right? You know, you see her and she's also like a weird distant cousin and you, she you know, tells you the same thing every time you see her because she shops every Friday. Tell your Meemaw I said hi. And and you know, and she knows that you're not going to remember between now and the time you walk out the door. And so, honestly, the greetings when we come to it uh, in these letters are kind of end up in our minds being something like that. Well, Paul's just being nice, saying, "Tell him I said hi." But actually, it's it's a much deeper reality than this. While yes, it's a common Greco-Roman practice in letter writing, put yourselves in these ancient Christians' shoes. Bear in mind what they've gone through. They've left the pagan religions that they've come from. And in doing so, they've lost everything. They've lost friends. They've lost family. They're no longer allowed to participate in the common practices of the day because it's so tied to the cultic worship of the day. Uh, They've lost their very identity. They are lonely, they're isolated, and now the only people in the world that they can count on are a a bunch of misfits uh, and weirdos that are called the church, that worship this resurrected Lord, that worship a, a triune God, that don't do what the rest of the world does. Talk about an isolated world. You can't go to the family reunions anymore. You're not welcome. You've lost your name. You have no place. See what Paul's doing here. What Paul's actually doing, he's not just saying, tell him I said hi. What he's actually doing is is profound love by saying, you feel isolated and alone and you have no identity but actually as a matter of fact Christian you're famous I want you to know that people on the other side of the known world know you and see you and love you and pray for you These greetings are an encouragement to the church of profound love and encouragement. And in a few simple words, it's the the warming feeling that these people need maybe to carry on just a little bit further. Desperately lonely, and yet here Paul is, and he's saying, we know you, and we see you, and we know what you're going through. And we're praying for you. Now, uh, maybe um, 
So much of us want to serve the church well, as we should. And a lot of the times the way in which we think that we best serve the church is, is maybe to be uh, absolutely the most well-read and well-informed person in any given room. And while the church, yes, does need people who are well-informed and well-read, that's not always the greatest solution to serving the church well. In fact, one of the most profound ways in which you can serve the church is actually to just do this. To, to make sure that your brothers and sisters in Christ and your neighbors know that they're known and that they're loved and that they're prayed for. This is the love that Paul calls us to. This oftentimes is what gospel ministry really looks like. Just being there and showing people that you know them and that you love them and that you're praying for them. That's what loving, especially horizontally, looks like. But Paul transitions uh, to then call us heavenward, and he calls us to love vertically, but in an unusual way. Verse 22, if anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. This is somewhat of a rare thing in a, in a greeting uh, or in the conclusion of a letter uh, that here Paul is pronouncing an anathema, um, which is something that even Paul doesn't do very often. Really, the only other place where he pronounces anathemas are in the book of Galatians, where people are preaching another gospel. But what Paul is doing here, he, he's calling us to this attention, this reality, that being nice is not all there is to the Christian life. Paul reminds us that if you don't love anything else, you have one call. You must love the Lord. And, and while that, especially you know, in our day and age, this makes us uncomfortable, if anyone has no love for the Lord, let them be accursed. But hear what Paul is calling. He's doing profound theology here. He's looking at every human that's ever lived and saying, regardless if you know it or not, you live in covenant with the Lord. And you're either a covenant breaker or a covenant keeper. The creator of all things, and hear how crazy this is, the creator of all things made you from the dirt. And he's put breath in your lungs. And he makes the rain fall so that the crops grow and that the sunshine comes up. And he gives you beaches and mountains and glorious things. If you have no love for this creator, you've committed the highest treason you can possibly commit. To, to commit treason against one's country is a serious infraction. Capital punishment. We all can agree with that. To, to commit treason against one's family is utterly heinous. But to commit treason against the creator and sustainer of all things is the most heinous infraction any person could ever possibly imagine. To not love the Lord, the Creator, is to shake your fist at the God who creates and sustains all things. 
Maybe that's you today. Maybe as you search your heart, you say, I don't love the Lord. There's good news, brothers and sisters. If that's you today, the God of all things has and will until Christ return take cosmic traitors and turn them into kingdom citizens. Call out this day to the God who takes out hearts of stone and gives hearts of flesh. Call out on the name of the Lord who takes those who hate everything and fills them with a love for their creator. Cry out and beg for the God of all mercy, and you will find it. But then finally, Paul shifts gears to call us to love, hopefully. At the very end of verse 22, he says, Our Lord, come. Paul does something, again, unique uh, as the rest of his letters go. And he, he transliterates this little phrase from Aramaic, the ancient Palestinian language, uh, and he translates it or transliterates it into Greek. And so it's this, it's this almost awkward prayer that here's this very Greek-informed letter written originally in Greek with Greek rhetorical structures and, and, and systems and all of that. And then suddenly, after pronouncing this curse, he breaks into this Aramaic prayer where he says, Manatha, Maranatha. Our Lord, come. It's likely that, that this prayer is maybe one of the most ancient of all Christian prayers. The fact that here he is in this very Greek city pronouncing an Aramaic prayer is likely that it's become a common practice that in the churches uh, of the first century, even in a Greek and Latin-speaking world, that they pray this Aramaic prayer. They have one hope. Here's their one hope that Jesus hasn't forgotten. It's interesting how similar this prayer is to John's prayer in the book of Revelation as he concludes. And it's interesting that, that in two, uh, two letters from two people who maybe suffered more for the cause of Christ than most of us could possibly even imagine, what's at the forefront of their mind? Hopefulness. To those who have suffered this great persecution, they have one undying hope and love, and it's this, that one day they will be in the place of the Lord with the one who loved them and purchased them by his blood. This is what Paul's calling us to pray, that we would fix our hearts and our eyes on the Lord Jesus and say, I have one hope in this life, and that is one day, one day, my faith will become sight. My prayer will become praise. That I will once and for all stand in the place where my Savior resides. And that is our prayer. May that be our hope and our love be fixed on that now and forevermore. Amen. Let us go to the Lord now in prayer. O oh, gracious Lord, 
while perhaps our hearts are distant from one another and from you, you, O oh Lord, bring us now to your family table and say, be filled with love for one another and for me. As we gather around this family table, O oh Lord, may we see your love on display. May our hearts be filled with love and joy and hope that while we sojourn but a little longer, we cast our eyes to the reality that you have not forsaken your people or left us in our pilgrimage, but you are with us even now through the work of your Spirit. And yet, O oh Lord, we pray with the Apostle Paul, our Lord, come. And until then, O oh Lord, feed our souls with this meal. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.